It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, that is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app, you can take us with you anywhere you go. And you're welcome to listen to some of our previous conversations and interviews on our SoundCloud or on one of the many podcast platforms. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome to the show today, Phelan Johnson. And she, of course, you may have heard that name as the host of Unreserved on CBC. That's one of the things that she does. We are here today to talk to her about being a first-time Governor General's Book finalist in the drama category for Two Indians. And she's also got other plays that include Salty Baby and Wash, for which she received a Dora Mavermore Award nomination for Outstanding New Play. Now, as I said, uh, Phelan is, uh, she's a writer, she's a podcaster, and as I say, host of very two popular CBC podcasts, The Secret Life of Canada and Unreserved. She also happens to be of Mohawk and Tuscarora heritage and the Bear Clan lineage and from the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. So it is a real pleasure to have Phelan on the show, Phelan Sago and Welcome. Sango, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while because I wanted to, first of all, congratulate you on the, the gig with CBC and Unreserved. So I want to say thank uh, congratulations on that front. Oh, thanks. You know, I, Rosanna just came back. I was only keeping her chair warm for a year, but it was uh, but it was a heck of a year. Definitely. You know, as you know, making radio during the pandemic is uh, is an interesting journey. <laughs> it is. And I was going to ask you that. Thank you, because I did see something about that you were sitting in for a period of time. So I, yeah. I, I, I just saw that. So I'm glad you clarified that. Um, so now that's finished. How do you feel? Oh, you know, it was it was such an awesome journey. Uh, not going to lie, sort of miss it. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, working, I'm still with the CBC, mm. uh, just in the podcast department and yep. working on a couple of projects with them. Uh, they're not announced yet. I wish I could tell you about them. One specifically is uh, really, really exciting. Um, and uh, so, I, I, you know, I've always got things on the go there. So mm. it's 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 good to still uh, still be working in audio for sure. Yeah, right. And like you said, you've got uh, other things on the go, not only with CBC, but uh, congratulations on uh, being a first-time uh, Governor General book finalist for this year. Thanks. It's so wild. <laughs> so strange. You know, <laughs> and you know, uh, I wanted to ask you about Two Indians because mm -hmm. it's, of course, had several productions. You directed one, in fact, mm -hmm. and uh, in 2017. And so it's been a live performance and it's gone into this book form. And I'm wondering what what the idea was to take it to that step and put it in book form and release it like this. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, like I I started writing this play years ago. It was mm. a long time ago. There used to be this theater festival in Toronto called Wrecking Ball. Um, mm. And it was a really sort of quick thing. What they would do is the producers would ask you if you could write a 10 minute short piece, um, but they wouldn't tell you what it was about. They'd just say, you just have to agree to write something on a theme that we give you. And I said, okay, sure. Cause I'm a deadline based person. So then they said, okay, great. You're going to do it. Your theme is idle no more. So this was in the heat of idle no more. Mm. Um, it was really just getting cooking. And so I wrote this short 10 minute piece. It went up, it was presented and it was really just a conduit for me to sort of dump all my feelings about mm. what was going on in the country. Mm. Um, you know, and, and 
Uh, so after that finished, I decided to expand it. And so I just kind of kept writing. And so the premise of the of the piece is two two Mohawk cousins in an alleyway in downtown Toronto. Could be any city, really. Could be any kind mm-hmm. of cousins. Um, and they're just uh, hanging out and they're talking about, you know, the things that uh, the things that they about their memories, but also the things that politically in the world are sort of bothering them or that they disagree with, you know, it's almost, and you know, it's that classic tale of the, the cousin who moves to the city mm. and the cousin who stays on the res and the mm. differences that, uh, that sort of differences in opinion that they have mm. um, and how they can come together. So, yeah, you know, the, the piece is a live piece. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's gone up a few times now, which is nice. Once made it all the way out to Saskatoon, mm-hmm. uh, which was great. Um, and, you know, I think the thing about putting it in book form is it just opens it up to a different audience. And, you know, I remember being a young, a young theater person and going to the library and having to, you know, that was the way that I found a lot of the, the work. Um, I found my way to a lot of the work, you know, a lot of the, I didn't see the Res sisters for a long time. I mm. read it first. Mm. I didn't see, you know, some of um, I, the other Daniel David Moses, Daniel David Moses <laughs> from Six Nations, that playwright. I, uh, <laughs> I hadn't seen his work before mm. I read it first. So there's something nice about it being put into book form because I think it opens it up to, to that different audience. I'm glad you said that. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> um, but it's also interesting that you mentioned how this sort of started as sort of this challenge to write something very quickly. And that that premise that you talked about is exactly what we see in the play. What did you see or what, what were you hoping that it might achieve uh, when it was in that format of being a live performance? And, and do you feel that it accomplished that for you? You know, I think there's also some there. It did for me. It uh, I always steal from my family. <laughs> so there's a lot of the stories I tell, you know, I, I mind I mind mm. my own experience. I mind mm. my family's experience. Mm. And we, you know, and a big part of two Indians was me talking about memory and my memory with my family, mm. um, specifically with my siblings and my cousins. Cause mm. growing up on six nations, man, we had a great time. Mm. Um, you know, your cousins are more like your siblings mm. and you end up playing outside for hours. And so there were so many funny stories and so many stories that I would reminisce about with my cousins and my mm. siblings. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about my one cousin who got real mad once when we were playing baseball because he said the ball was foul. And my sister said the ball was fair. And then he punched the house and he broke his hand. Right. But <laughs> so I wanted to put those stories in there for them as almost like little family Easter eggs for them to mm. find so that mm-hmm. they could see themselves. And sure. those stories reflected as a way of kind of showing them, you know, how much I like, I, yeah. I loved our, our childhood, that time together right. was so, so special and so important into making me, the person that I am and the artist that I am and the writer that I am. And Mm. so there was a big part of me that wanted to share those moments and just, you know, show them how much they, they mean to me. Mm. And so I threaded those throughout um, as a way of a nod, a wink and a nod to them. (laughs) Right. That must've been fun. If those uh, family members saw those things and and recognized (laughs) that they were in there, that must've been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've they've all come to see it, which is nice. <laughs> um, so the other thing is that taking it from again that that from uh, putting it in front of an audience and now changing it into the the written format and, and as you say, putting it in front of a different audience. What has what have you learned, or what did it bring back to you from from having it 
performed that you perhaps weren't expecting it to do or to convey? Oh, well, you know, the, when I've, we've done it a few times now and um, the, the couple of times that I've sort of been in the room, in the rehearsal room working on it, one of the things that I found was the design, the stage design, the mm. set is quite simple when I, uh, you know, I, I wrote the show. Mm-hmm. Theater's expensive, David. <laughs> Theater's <laughs> so expensive to produce. And so people kind of, you know, companies try to look for some right. pieces that are definitely more economical. And that was yeah. One of the things that I thought of when I wrote this piece, the the set when I did it, when I've done it, is was very very you know simple. It was milk crates. It was mm-hmm. two garbage cans. Um, but a lot of the other design elements came through a projection screen. So mm-hmm. we did some stuff with projection, um, and I was sort of surprised to see um, how effective that was. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I knew that I know that projection can do you know fantastic things in a show and. We had a great uh, Cree, Cree uh, designer, Andy Morrow, who does a lot of theater work, a lot of design. And um, and so he was such an asset. Uh, his work was such an asset to the piece and I think really helped to paint a, uh, a, a fuller picture of the world that we were trying to create with the piece. And so, you know, seeing seeing that on stage and how that really brought the piece together in a way uh, I think was really special and and so I, I feel like that was that was an element and sound, you know, mm. I had my partner work on the sound, which mm-hmm. is he's a musician because mm-hmm. I can't quit musicians. But uh, <laughs> he, he helped with the sound. And right. so we got to work really collaboratively with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really loved that. We took sounds from we took streetscape sounds and mm-hmm. made it um, into to, we tried to make the sounds uh, sound like a smoke dance drum. Oh, yeah. Um, so like you get some streetcar dings, you get some, you know, the mm-hmm. hum of an air conditioner. Right. unit you know so right. all of those things i i i love design elements that's one of the best parts about working in theater it sure is sound design is great um you mentioned uh effectiveness i'm i'm wondering again for you you stepped into the director's uh element as well uh for for one of that how was that for you getting behind and directing it as opposed to just having written it and letting other people take it oh you know it's interesting I think it, it comes out of necessity sometimes that mm-hmm. I end up directing my own work. It's not necessarily always my first choice um, <laughs> because there's something really liberating about writing a piece and then giving it over to a creative right. team mm-hmm. to just take it and go. And then they work on it and then, you know, you get to just watch it. Um, so being in a room, you know, and, and directing it and directing actors is a really it's, you know, it's a completely different experience. Um, and you really have to because the story is so personal to me in a lot of ways, you mm-hmm. really have to think about that part of you and move it off to the side, maybe just like say like, okay, this is, you know, while this is your piece of writing, this, these actors have to have space for their own stories Mm -hmm. and their own histories Mm -hmm. and their own memories in the piece. Because, you know, I think there is some commonality in the way that, you know, in the way that indigenous people, um, I think our memories are, are intertwined or there is some parallels in our memories. Definitely. So I want, you know, I need to make space for, for those other creative elements in the room. Right. This is a two person uh, play. And mm-hmm. uh, as you say, it's, uh, it, it's these it's two women. One lives in, in uh, a Toronto being a, or any city and the other uh, one living on the res that comes to visit. And uh, I, I'm wondering about how you think that helps in terms of the message that is being conveyed to the audience by having 
only two people on stage um, and allowing that focus to be very intimate and of course very uh, focused on those two those two actors uh, playing the roles yeah I think I really wanted to pull back the curtain and um, sort of maybe give a non-indigenous audience a view into how we talk when Mm -hmm. it's just us Mm -hmm. Um, you know I thought a lot about I think me and my sister were driving around a lot when I was working on this. Um, I dedicated the piece to her because it just felt like there was so much, so much of her Mm. in here. Mm. And so, you know, we would, I I wanted, I wanted an audience to see what it's like when, you know, when me and my sister drive around in the car, you know, she's, she was a little closer to home. Um, I moved away to school, but she sort of, she went away to school, but then she moved sort of back, uh, back closer to the res. And I was in Toronto, stuck in Toronto forever. Mm. And so, you know, when we would come, when we would drive around in her car, you know, talking, our viewpoints, our political viewpoints, um, the way that we felt about things, you know, frequently different. They came together at some points, but, you know, I wanted to sort of shed light on how location can shift your politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. a, being on the res is a, there's a different set of politics, I think. There's a different uh, thinking about, you know, voting about uh about ceremony about you know all of those things um and then when you're in the city i feel like you know those things can sit differently inside you so i i was kind of interested in exploring how location how land Mm. uh territory Mm -hmm. um can inform you know how how we walk through the world and and i also wanted to frame toronto as an indigenous space you know Mm. as traditional as as our territory i wanted to i wanted viewers to be able to remember that to remember that that is you know that that is our land right. that land is incredibly important to us mm-hmm. um and to lots of other indigenous people and that you know i think the last line of the play it's not a spoiler is we're still here mm-hmm. and that you know that feels just important to continue to drive home to um i think to a lot of canadians that we're still here um and we've always been you mentioned uh, politics and uh and of course six nations uh if if people know the community then uh, of course they know about uh, the internal uh situation that exists within six nations you got the elected council you got the confederacy mm-hmm. you got the clan mothers you got the uh um the the, men, the men's fire you've got all of those things uh in play and so i'm so i now have a ask you this question then have people from the res seen the play read the play or a senior production of this and and what kind of feedback did you get from the community yeah we did it we did it um uh, the woodland cultural center had mm-hmm. a festival uh, a few years ago uh, we and we did it there um we did it on the res just like 10 minutes away from my parents house mm-hmm. like not even maybe like five minute drive mm-hmm. anyway um and so some people came uh not a ton of people mm-hmm. uh i think you know there's it's always hard to get people out to the theater. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, some people came and I think, you know, the pe- all, my family, obviously, right. they, they came because I dragged them to all of my things <laughs> and they, they come, which is yes. great. Um, but yeah, yeah, there were other people from the rest who have come to see it and, and the, the response has been good. I think there's something about, you know, the way that these, these women speak to each other, the way that they talk, again, mm-hmm. that sort of pulling back of the curtain and how we talk when when no one's around, mm. you know, um, we, we are frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's, I think there's something cathartic about seeing those frustrations said and spoken out into the air in front of other people. You know, I think that's why I got into theater was because, you know, I, and into, you know, performance and speaking and because I just, I want, I want us to feel seen. I want to help us feel seen. I want to help tell our stories so that we feel so that, you know, somebody can sit in an audience or somebody can pick it up and read it or somebody can, you know, engage with the, with the, with the material and say, I feel seen or I, I know what that feels like or that's happened to me because our experiences are, you know, especially concerning racism and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and history is there's similarities there. And I, and I want to shed light. I want to shine light on those. And I want us to feel seen and I want us to feel heard because, because we exist and because we're still here. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Phelan Johnson, and she is here to talk about, and she is talking about her play, Two Indians, which is a first-time Governor General's book finalist in the drama category this year. So congratulations to Phelan, and we've been talking about the play. Also, we just found out that she has just finished up uh, sitting in the chair of Unreserved for Rosanna Deerchild, who has just come back as the host of Unreserved. Now that f- has finished up for her and she's uh, back doing other things. Did you get any any pushback at all from the community in terms of talking about some of the issues that might have felt a little too close to home or a little too personal that maybe some people thought, "Hey, why are you why are you talking about this stuff?" You know, no one no one said anything. Mm. No one said anything. I think, you know, and that's the beauty of theater, right? Is that you can say, well, I'm not saying that. It's my characters that are <laughs> right. saying that. <laughs> so you get to, you know, you do get to, uh, you get a bit of forgiveness there mm. because, and also because it is, it really is. It's the two characters talking, you know, if you... I think my advice to most people who are, you know, trying to write for theater, write in general. It's like, put your characters in the room and see what happens. And Mm. so, yeah, they came from my family. There's definitely roots of them there. And there's roots tying to me and my sister for sure. But then there's also, they just take on a life of their own. And then they just kind of take over and they say, they say what they want to say. I mean, I did, there was a line and there's a line in the play, which is, you know, about performative allyship. I think there was, Mm. that was a thread that I was interested in exploring. And so there, I think there's a line in there. It's like, you think you understand because you have a medicine wheel button on your backpack, (laughs) 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 which I feel like when we've done it, when we did it in Toronto, I did feel maybe a bit of tension in the room around (laughs) that line, but you know, but you know, those are real feelings. And I think, I think, we're seeing that more and more now i think you know this was i think potentially you know when we put it on then this was before the words performative allyship Mm. were really out in the air but it was definitely something that i think myself and a lot of indigenous people felt you know Mm. what's real Mm. what's real is it you know is this land acknowledgement real does this mean Mm. does this mean you know, I mean, I, I, there's always that story. I think of when somebody at a, somebody at an event thanked the Haudenosaunee. <laughs> it just sounds like a transformer or something like we morph together. Um, so I think, you know, these are things that we've always, we've always been thinking about. We're always thinking about these things. And now in this moment, we're in a completely different moment now, right? Mm. Where, we're finding our relations and we're, we're bringing them home. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the ways, in the many ways that that looks like, but 
I kind of, I kind of love this moment we're in because I've never felt so empowered to be able to ask for the things that I think I need in whatever work I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we have a moment right now where people seem to be listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are listening. And so I feel like this story, there's a lot of things in here that I feel like my characters could say, but I couldn't say. Right. Um, and now I'm kind of feeling like I, I, I can, I can say these things. I'm glad you said that because that was sort of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. And that is, do you feel that, you know, events over the last couple of years, maybe the TRC and, and those kind of things have had an impact on, on how Indigenous works are being perceived or accepted or, or looked at and, and, and thought about? I think so. I mean, I just feel like there's a little bit more space for us now in our Mm. stories and all platforms. Right. Mm. Um, I think we need more. Mm. I think we and I think now is the moment for all of us to be asking for more, which is why I encourage anybody who is interested in working in, you know, in telling our stories, however that looks is like, just go for it right now, because, man, they're listening right now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just in, you know, it's not just in in theater or in, you know, radio, I think look at film like sure we've got rutherford falls yeah. and we've got reservation dogs yeah. and that's not to say we didn't have shows before we've right. been making tv shows for a long time right, right. for a very long time and, and a lot of our you know a lot of those founding artists you know i think about the people that i you know i grew up watching like you know my friend michelle st john or mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know monique mohica right. or Jenny lazan yeah. or sherry miracle or all these like you know yeah. <laughs> all these fantastic people gary farmer Mm -hmm. tom jackson like you know we've been around for a long time and we've been telling stories it's and the hard work that they did to clear a path yeah like they 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 worked hard and so i never i always want to make sure that i acknowledge the work that are that people have done to get us here so that it's possible for shows like rutherford falls and for reservation dogs to happen and i can't wait to see because those are both in the states and somehow the states is starting to leapfrog canada right Right. i mean I always felt like Canada was like a little more ahead of the States in terms of our, our representation. Mm. And I feel like, you know, I'm like, I want to see some, I want to see more stuff come out. And I, I really hope that it starts to appear because, because it's time because the ears are open. They're more mm. open. The ears and the eyes are open and the hearts maybe are a little more open than they were previously. Right. Now the, the two Indians has been described as a play about indigenous identity, reconciliation, feminism. Uh, the, the two world element comes to play as well. You know, the, just the, the idea of walking in two worlds, the general theme, but then you have the, the two uh, actors that are again, walking in two different worlds to some degree as well. Yeah. And I think part of it was like, it, it is two worlds, but it's all one world. It's again, it's something about land, right? Mm-hmm. I always try mm-hmm. to remember where my feet land when mm-hmm. I'm walking around because it's all indigenous land mm-hmm. and to remember who was here before me and who's made it possible for me to be where I am now, you know, mm-hmm. we are all a product of survival. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to, you know, in the play, in the piece that we have the girls, the, the, the cousins, they do a, they do a ceremony and it's not maybe how one would think ceremony would look, you know, mm-hmm. they, they bust open a cigarette and they put some tobacco down and they dance right? in an alleyway that smells like pee that's right. covered in garbage. Yep. But ceremony, I think has to happen. Ceremony happens how it happens, where it needs to happen mm-hmm. and when it needs to happen. And I think, you know, that is, that's who we are. I think that's who we are. 
Mm. Um, we we've had to we've had to find our way back uh, in a lot of ways, and I think it might not always uh, it might not always seem perfect. Um, it might not always look look perfect, but I think the way things happen and the way that you know people find their way back to connection is deeply personal mm. um, and and has to has to function the way that it functions for them. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, being nominated for the Governor uh, General Book finalist in the drama category, how does that feel? <laughs> It's funny. Every time you say it, I laugh a little. It's so weird. <laughs> it's very strange. It's, you know, I, I never expected it. There's something, um, I think because I trained in theater, there's something that always feels really um, surprising mm. when I'm recognized for theater, especially because I've moved into more audio work and mm. I still do some theater, just right. did some theater on the weekend there. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it's still, you know, it's still a part of me, but sometimes it's, especially with the pandemic, mm-hmm. most live things got mm-hmm. put on hold. So it's just, it's felt very far away. And so, yeah, I woke up in the morning um, a couple <laughs> weeks ago and I like checked my phone as everybody does. Well, most people do. Uh, and, you know, hadn't even had coffee yet. Looked yeah. at my email, read some, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I got up and I went into the kitchen and my partner, he was, he was making coffee and like getting ready for his day. And I was like, good morning. <laughs> He's like, what's going on with you? Why are you so happy this early in the morning? And then I showed him my phone and mm. yeah, it was very surprising. Uh, I am like, yeah, it's great. It's great. I told my dad, I was mm. like, I got nominated for this thing. And then he's like, oh, that's great. That's great. And then a couple of days later, he's like, did you win an award or something? <laughs> so it's like, you know, yeah. as, as cool as it is, I'm like, okay. And then yeah. it's also like, what does this mean? Like, right. what does yeah. it's like, you know, governor general, queen yeah. representative. It's all that complicated. Yeah. Stuff. But you yeah. know, we did side with the queen so the way i see it is i'm one step closer <laughs> to getting an audience <laughs> if i pick this thing up i'm gonna go over there we'll have a talk right now on top of that you know one of the other things is that you were also named one of the uh, people to watch in 2020 by my by, by mclean's magazine so it's like been this you know yeah it was me and toilet paper and hand sanitizer <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was that was wild too i was like oh cool but then 2020 was like the worst year ever so mm. <laughs> i was like yeah it's still very you know i it's wild it's wild to think of um it's wild to think of you know uh growing up you know we grew up on six nation we grew up on the res we mm. we you know had no channels on the tv we uh mm. we played we played outside played in the ditch climbed trees got muddy mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't have running water for mm-hmm. some years there. And I know it's always kind of a weird thing to say, but I always feel like it's an important thing to say that like, it's not, we're not that far removed from that. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we, I just, I feel like it's, it seems, uh, it seems like a bit of a, and I don't, it just seems like a bit of a miracle sometimes when mm-hmm. I think about where, where, uh, where we started. Like where I, where I came from and, you know, I think where a lot of people come from that a lot of indigenous people were up against it or up against it in all the ways that we're up against it. And uh, it's a hard thing to be proud of yourself, but if you, you know, and I try to remind myself that it's okay to be proud of myself for the mm. work that we do. Mm. Cause 
the odds are stacked against us in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and, and, but we're storytellers mm. and our stories are, are valuable. Our stories are, I think they're medicine. I think they, and anyone who's got one, any indigenous youth, any indigenous person, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. I'm like, just, we got to get our stories out there. Mm. Um, because, because I think people are willing to listen a little bit more, but right. also because we're, we're also because we're such a damn good storyteller. <laughs> right. Phelan Johnson. It was my guest here on the show for this part of Moment of Truth, and she is a writer, podcaster, and she was up until recently the host of a CBC Unreserved, Nations of the Grand River Territory. She is a finalist, a first-time finalist for the Governor General book uh, in the drama category for this year. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth right after these words. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app, you can listen anywhere you go. It is a pleasure to have on the show with us Gord Grissenthate, and he is a member of Lytton First Nation, and he's here to talk about his uh, being nominated uh, for the Governor General's Awards, which will be announced on November 17th. So it's a pleasure to have him here to talk about uh, his book, Home Waltz, in the fiction category, is nominated. So it's a pleasure to have Gord here to talk about that and other things, because as I mentioned, he is a member of Lytton First Nation. And of course, we all know about Lytton First Nation and what happened out there over the summer with the fires, a devastating fire in the community. Although, uh, Gord at this point now lives in uh, Kingsville, Ontario. So... Um, uh, I'm sure he may have some news about that. So, Gord, welcome to the show, first of all. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, how long have you been living in uh, Kingsville, Ontario? Six years. Ah, okay. So, you're not, you're not new to the area. You're, uh, you're, you're a relatively uh, a settled person in the area, I guess you would say. Yeah, I'm a settler on your territory. <laughs> 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 there you go. Well, we're all cousins, right? Yeah. <laughs> so listen, congratulations on this. Well, thank you very much. How's that feel? Uh, I don't know yet. Ah. Um, still, I'm still in the pinch me. This is a dream phase. Right. right. Um, I can't believe it's happening, mm. really. Being from Lytton First Nation, um, what do you know about the situation as it stands now out there? Um, not much has happened mm. in, in terms of... of uh, rebuilding in terms of money to help people rebuild. Mm. And um, I keep thinking of what happened at Fort McMurray oh, and yeah. how fast the whole country rallied to rebuild that city. Mm. Good point. And um, I'm thinking um, the BC government talks about being um, Indian friendly, but um, they're, I mean, they didn't even declare a state of emergency. They didn't uh, let Anybody except a few people know that the fire was coming and they should evacuate. So most of the people who were evacuated had like five minutes notice. Mm. Uh, that's how fast things moved. Mm. Um, so I don't have much faith in the progress of, 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 rebuilding of support for the, for the, for the people mm. and not, not just the Inkaklapmuk, 
but but the settlers who have made um lit in their home mm. so i it's, it's i'm glad i'm here really mm. um but it feels like a part of me was went went up with the town if that makes any sense to you mm. yeah i certainly can understand that um you have family uh, and uh, back there yes i have lots of family back there mm. um some on the west side mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't which wasn't destroyed and then some scattered about you know merit kamloops mm-hmm. um, other places yeah it, wasn't there some uh, discussion about um how I, I believe it was there that it could have been a uh, a train that caused the fire that's what i heard and that's what's kind of making sense mm. but I don't have all the details right now because um, I'm not reading as closely as I ought to, but it seems to me that the powers that be have already um, said the train had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So they don't have any, any fiscal or moral responsibility for the fire. Mm. Right. It's not the first time this has happened. Mm. Well, um, I uh, appreciate you sharing what you have uh, and what you do know about the situation out there. I was, I was hoping that as you were from the area, we just thought would get a little bit of an update uh, from your perspective. So I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Well, no worries. Uh, getting back to, of course, though, your, uh, the reason you're here, and that is to talk about uh, your uh, nomination as a first-time Governor General book finalist for your book, Home Waltz, in the fiction category. And... Um, and, and of course, that takes place, it sounds like, uh, back on the west side of the country, um, if I'm not mistaken. The, per- the premise is set there. Absolutely, yes. Now, the language, um, I have to say, it's fascinating to look at the name in the traditional languages be- because they're not letters that are used in the name. Yeah, that's, um, those are the sounds of yes. the language because Inkoklatmokchin yes. has no... Um, letters mm-hmm. um it's it's purely oral right and so translating the strictly oral into into um written took some work and i bet you almost have to be a linguist to um to parse those sounds yeah so what was that process like for you then to to come up with something that would work for you it was entirely natural um I mean, Inkelkabmukchin isn't my first language, mm. uh, and it probably won't even be my second or third. Um, I'd probably be old and dead by the time I nail it. <laughs> uh, so I tried to remember um, the few times that I heard people speaking around me, um, because when when I grew up, um, you kept the language secret. Mm. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in the circle at that point. Mm. So it wasn't until I was older that, um, well, that's not entirely true. No, uh, my Hazel tried teaching me mm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and and I picked up some words here and there, right. and I learned a couple of swears on on, on the mean streets of Lytton, <laughs> right. and and. Um, it stayed like that for many years. And then I started writing and the stories involving um, Skeeto and, and his friends and stuff demanded that I, they, they are represented 
in Inkelkatmukchin where mm. where it works and is necessary. So I found First Voices. Uh, it's a website that deals with languages and has um, glossaries, uh, dictionaries, um, songs, etc. In 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 a variety of languages. And uh, that's where I went and started to learn. And now learning the language by word doesn't mean I'm learning the language. It means I'm okay. learning the word. Yes. And so uh, when it came to, um, I had trans, I had um, uh, language keeper translate um, a sentence for me in, in a poem I wrote about my grandmother's um, um residential school experience mm. and that's when i started to learn the language because she told me many jimmy she's wonderful um uh she told me that that we don't have please in our language mm. because it sounds like begging mm. and uh that so that got me thinking about how how else it differs mm-hmm. And uh, I started taking a class um, at NVID that Mandy teaches, and uh, was by Teams, and the internet was kind of sketchy at the beginning of of the COVID um, crisis. And she was teaching us how to pronounce the sounds properly. Mm. And I was too late to register again this year, so I'll try again in the summer next fall mm-hmm. we'll go home and just immerse myself in it for a while wow that's that's a great way of good, of doing it of course mm-hmm. uh, you, you said that when you were growing up that there was this secretive element around the language um was that out of necessity do you think that was part of that whole uh residential school upbringing that to try and protect the language by not uh you know, to, to keep that uh, safe or was there something else at play there? Oh, it's both residential school um, stigma mm. and not quite the law, but the law. Um, we were banned like, like across Indian country, we were banned from speaking the language mm. or our languages. Mm-hmm. And so because instead of killing the language, um, it went underground yep. and it was kept, and you didn't you didn't speak it in public mm-hmm. um, for fear of repercussions. I mean, um, I don't know my grandmother's experience except that she came out a white woman mm. and hated everything Indian, mm. and and. Um, wouldn't speak the language, wouldn't know. Yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was the result of, of colonization, um, the result of um, the Indian act mm-hmm. and, and um, the power given to Indian agents. And even though most of this stuff is old news, sure. it, I think it still has repercussions mm-hmm. today. 
so you mentioned uh, the the name of the uh, of the the lead character in in your book, uh, of course in Home Waltz, and that is uh, Squiddo Bob, and he's a a person of mixed blood, and he's, he's just trying to find himself in this a small town, which uh, if it's Lytton, then mostly of course native town, and he uh, has an experience with uh, in this book with uh, some of his closest friends, and I understand there's one non-native uh, kid that's in there as well. And and that the whole the whole story takes place within a thirty six hour time frame. That's correct. So, what can you tell us about this? Well, um, the story. Well, the story needed to move quickly in order to um, make sense. Mm. This is a weekend, mm-hmm. and and it's quite a um, special weekend for at least to the boys' thinking. Mm-hmm. Because of uh, senior girls um, volleyball tournament, right? And and um, so teams coming in from throughout the district. Well, with all those girls, chances of getting lucky improve <laughs> by that much, <laughs> right? And and so the boys um, plan on well getting lucky, mm. and and um, their dynamic. There's five friends, and um, Skeeto has no clue where he stands what they think of him except what he thinks they think of him and he doesn't he feels like an outsider mm. mm-hmm. and and he feels like he's treated like an outsider and he kind of is because he doesn't live on res mm-hmm. um his his father um opted out um and franchised himself oh yeah okay um and and um his mother, he doesn't know his mother. His mother's um, a Shema, a white woman, mm. who just disappears. Mm. Um, and the white kid is is one of those people that nobody likes because he's really annoying. Mm. But he's tolerated because he's still a person. Mm. And yeah, so that's the dynamic of the friends. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And it is a pleasure to have on the show with me, uh, Gord Grisenthate. And we are talking about his book, Home Waltz. And it is a first-time uh, Governor General's uh, finalist for the uh, Governor General's Awards that uh, has been chosen for this year. And they're going to be announced on November 17th. So uh, congratulations to Gord for this nomination. And uh, Gord has had stories and poems appeared in the Antigonish Review, um, Our Stories Literary Journal, uh, Prism International, and his work has have earned a number of prizes, including the 2014 John Kenneth Galbraith Literary Award. And he lives in uh, Kingsville, Ontario. However, he is originally from uh, Lytton First Nation out in British Columbia. So it's a pleasure to have Gord here talking about the book. Uh, uh, Gord, you said when you said that Guido um, is not, he doesn't know what, what they think of him. Who are you referring to when you said they? Overall, everybody, but mm. mostly his friends. He thinks, well, he thinks everybody hates him because um, he just doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. Mm-hmm. His, his grandmother and his aunt and uncle um, love him and watch out for him. His, his father is not a nice person. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to write a story um, humanizing um, Skeeter's father. Mm. But 
it just didn't work out that way. So wow. I came to the conclusion that, you know what? Some people are just monsters mm. and let them be monsters. Wow. And so Skeeto's father is a monster. Right. It, it, it seems to me because of how you, you were just talking about him is that, and he doesn't belong anywhere. So I'm, what I'm saying is, I, I guess I, I think that there's other people that have been like that, that haven't had the opportunity to be connected to their community or their culture or their heritage. And so they would find themselves probably in, in a similar situation as, as you're painting a Squiddo Bob. I like the way you're thinking, David. Um, I can't speak for them because mm. I'm not them. Mm. And I don't think um, Skeeto's um, position is unique to him. Mm. Um, but I wasn't trying to make anything more than, than uh, a fully confused kid mm. when, when Skeeto evolved or started to evolve. But I mean, it, it also sounds like, uh, as, you, as you pointed out, this is a weekend um, and there is this volleyball team of, of girls that have come into town. So he and his friends are, uh, are, are looking with some uh, excitement about the possibilities of what might happen over the next 36 hours. Mm, yes, they want to set their trap lines. <laughs> okay. However, uh, as, the, uh, as it's described and, and as you, we find out in the story, of course, there's many things that are involved in the story. It's about suicide and alcoholism and, 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 and a, a coming-of-age story all mixed into here at the same time. Yeah, I'm not happy about the coming-of-age phrase. Mm. Uh, I think that's, that's an easy label to put mm -hmm. on anything involving mm -hmm. teenagers or, right. or um, adolescents. Right. Um, it probably fits the category. Um, I like that, that Skeeto has been compared to um, Holden Caulfield mm. in, in Catcher in the Rye. Mm -hmm. Rye. Um, that kind of makes me happy inside. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's about the dynamics of friendship, the dynamics of um, of well, of of snagging and love, <laughs> um, and and um, in in through this, Skeeto learns the difference between between a snag and 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 a partner girlfriend, mm, mm. and ultimately, despite despite what he puts himself through, what he goes through, he comes out of the story with hope, mm -hmm. and um, ultimately. I think that's what makes this book readable. <laughs> right. Um, it could be, it could be, you know, um, well, I've just finished a book that's just um, disaster on disaster mm -hmm. on disaster. And you wonder why the kid in that book hasn't just up and killed himself already. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, it's a point of life if, if, if there's no hope. Mm -hmm. And, um, no hope um, is something that frightens me because um, I have, you know, I lived on a res. I'm not going to say which one. I don't want to. Yep. Um, and what I saw was a bunch of people my age, a little older, a little younger, um, living without hope. Mm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were alcoholics. Um, but that the alcohol was was just 
well, self-medication more than, right. more than anything. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, res life can still be like this, um, angers me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, what the solution to that is. Now you mentioned, uh, that Skittle finds hope. I guess, I think that's what you said. So there's some hope in that, in the book. I wrote down value. You said that. Does he find some personal value as well, would you say? Um, maybe virtue. Mm. I think he doesn't realize um, how much, well, uh, I guess it depends on how, how we're using the value in, in, in this sense. Um, I'm not sure that he feels his life has purpose yet. Right. But um, he's open to the possibility. So he's not, he's not looking um, so much to be like to find love or to find a partner, to find a girlfriend mm-hmm. um, and have real sex. Cause what he's had before, well, um, was real, but he was just too drunk and doesn't remember. Um <laughs> Uh, so he doesn't count it, mm. but, but he learns the difference between, as I said, between, between, um, a snag and a partner. Mm. And he learns that, that, um, women certainly have value mm. and don't deserve to be, um, used and abused mm. for, for, for someone's pleasure. Mm. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot in there for people to uh, to connect with and to uh, deal with in the story. I'm wondering where your interest in in writing and uh, finding reading as, as a as a means of expressing that um, for yourself. Um, you know, this is another one of those questions that really isn't easy to answer. Mm. I didn't believe I could write. I didn't believe I was a writer. And when I was in grade two, my grade two teacher, um, I can't remember her name, starts with a B, um, asked us to stand and spell our middle names. Mm. And I spelled my middle name, um, which is Arthur, Mm. as A-U-T-H-O-R, which is author. Mm. <laughs> and um, I didn't think anything of it. The class had a good laugh. And why not? Uh, and I was writing letters and stuff to the editor, editor of local newspapers. Um, you know, um, complaining about the our treatment by cops and and mm. and, and all that. Mm. Um, and people would say, "Wow, I didn't know you knew all those big words." And I, mm. what big words? And then I went to college. And my first year instructor, um, English instructor, had us write poems about about um, specific people from Canada's earlier history. Mm. And I chose um, a giantess who was in a circus, and um, I wrote a poem about her. And um, the teacher loved it, and I thought she was crazy. <laughs> What's to love about this? And um, she she asked to keep it, and I said, "Sure, why not?" And um, then she said, "Have you ever considered taking creative writing?" <laughs> and I said, "No, 
And she goes, well, you should. So I did. And um, uh, I wrote, you know, un, uneducated, um, raw stuff. But my instructor, Pierre Coupe, saw something in, in my words. Mm-hmm. I saw something in, in, um, in, in my writing voice, which, which is really strong, um, has gotten really strong in, in Skeeto. Mm-hmm. But um, after college, I quit writing. And it wasn't until after the firestorm in 2003 in, in Kelowna, where I was staying at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I started writing, I wrote an essay um, about my experience as as an evacuee, mm. and um, it was put in a in an anthology mm. that the editor said was the only one they had that didn't need any editing, and and that made me proud for a minute. Mm. And um, then I wrote a rash of stories um, that belong in another. A, um, collect well a collection of of um, mosquito stories that that ties in with um, Homewaltz and, and my next project, which mm. um, is called "I Love You and Other Lies," <laughs> and um, it's yeah that one's well delayed because I'm just not in the game right now, <laughs> but I was hoping to have it. Uh, have it ready for for publishers by the end of the year. Anyway, I've digressed back to, yeah. So I didn't believe I was a writer and I was winning prizes and, and my, well, my stories were winning prizes and, and were shortlisted in, in contests. And I didn't believe I was a writer. And um, then my wife got tired of me saying that. And she just kept saying, you're a writer, you're a writer, you're a writer, you're a writer. Hmm. So I quit my job as a as a graphic design instructor and um, started writing two th- full time in 2012. And so, yeah, I'm a writer now. <laughs> I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but it's 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 how it evolved. Um, it hit me by surprise. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that's a, a fascinating story. I really appreciate you sharing that. It sounds to me like there's uh, uh, something more for us to uh, elaborate on and talk about uh, in another conversation, uh, Gord, because our, our time is up here. But I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show and talk about uh, your uh, first time uh, Governor General Book uh, finalist uh, uh, um, no- nomination uh, for this year of 2021 for Home Waltz, uh, and uh, that's in the fiction category. We're going to find out about who uh, who's going to come out on top on November 17th of this year, and we look uh, forward to hearing about that, and I wish you all the best with it. But the reason I say there's more for us to talk about, because it sounds to me there's some similarities there in what you were how you were describing your, your uh, disbelief in yourself uh, with uh, Squiddo and uh, in this book as well. Um, so, uh, you know, and I can heavily relate to exactly what you were saying. Um, boy, can mm-hmm. I ever, when I hear that story, I, I go, uh, yeah, I, my hand goes up and I go, yeah, that's me. That's mm-hmm. me. So, uh, congratulations and Shimi Gwetchen Nyawagoa for taking the time to join us on the show and, and all the best. I look forward to, uh, having you back on the show to talk about your upcoming stuff and maybe to just explore talking more about, uh, your own personal life, if that's something you care to do. 
works, Jim. I don't know who would be interested in my personal life, but I would love to talk about my work again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I really appreciate um, your conversation. It's been great. Great. Well, thank you so much and, uh, and all the best. And, uh, and as I say, uh, congratulations. And uh, we look forward to hearing what happens on November 17th. Oh, quick, Jim. Thank you. All right. You take care. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Gord uh, Grisenthwaite, and he is a uh, Governor General book finalist uh, debut for his debut novel of Home Waltz in the fiction category. And we're going to find out about like that, as I said, on November 17th. And uh, you can pick up the book, uh, I believe, at just about any bookstore, Home Waltz. And that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you again tomorrow right here on Moment of Truth. <laughs> This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.